Tell me, Father, Lord, I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to be in your house, Lord, and to worship you. And, Lord, I'm especially honored and proud, Lord, for the, the ability, Lord, that you've been able to give me, the anointing, Lord, to be able to preach your word. Thank you for it, Lord, and I ask you to open the hearts of the people to receive your words. In Jesus' name, Never said? Amen. Amen. Now, I was doing a series on crisis, and I thought I was done with it. But then I was thinking about it, and I thought, you know, there's one crisis that has kind of been the worst crisis, and we never really think about it. And uh, that was the one that Jesus faced. I met for 33 and a half years that he walked this earth, he knew the day he was going to die and how he was going to die. Now, can you imagine that? Just think about that for a minute. Knowing that you're going to die at a certain date and uh, how you're going to die. And dying on the cross, of course, was the most gruesome death that they had. And they had crucifixions all the time there. So every time he'd come into Jerusalem, he'd see people dying on a cross. It was just second nature. But every time he saw that, he would have been reminded of how he's going to die. And that in itself would be enough crisis to drive us to drink, do drugs, or whatever, because you wouldn't want to do that. But that's what he had to deal with, and he always had that pressure on him all the time. But he lived through it because of us. He wanted to do it for us. <clears throat> so in times of crisis sometimes, though, when we face decisions, we allow our emotions to make the decision for us. We're very emotional people. You know, we get decide we want to, somebody says something and we get angry and we react. We don't act, we react. There's a big difference. A lot of things that happen, a lot of the shootings that happen that we, that we see on the news are the result of reaction, not from acting. Somebody gets mad, they get mad in a bar and they start a fight and somebody pulls out a gun and shoots somebody. They're reacting to what happened. They didn't plan it to happen, then they say, oh, I wish it never happened, I didn't mean to do it, and all these other kind of excuses that happen, it's because of a reaction, not acting. Because we let our emotions sometimes dictate how we're going to live through things. And that's not the best way to uh, handle things. Now, how many of you ever prayed for someone that wasn't healed? How many of you prayed for somebody who not only wasn't healed, but they died? Now, that is scary, isn't it? I'll tell you, that can uh, cause all kinds of emotions in us. And others, how many times we pray for things that we didn't get what we wanted? Sometimes we think God is our Santa Claus in the sky. We give him our list, and we check it twice every day. And when we don't get it, we get upset. And sometimes we react at God. Sometimes we react by getting, walking away from God. We need to act. When we act, we, ha we think things through. And if we thought things through in every kind of situation that we were in, it would save us a lot of heartache. Because the, the, the funny thing and the bad thing about reacting is once we've reacted, we can't take it back. Right. You know, you get mad at your husband or your wife and you say some things that you can't take back. Even though you say, I'm sorry, they're still out there. You can't take them back. And the wounds that words cause people, you can't take them back. That's why we as believers have to trust God. I know that the closer we are to God, the less things of this world bother us. How many have found that to be true? Amen. 
You know, we get mad at God because something ha- didn't happen or something happened to us, and we don't like it. We get mad at God, and we take it out on people around us. We react, and we don't act. And when we react in those kind of situations where we're trying to testify to people and we react to those kind of situations in a bad way, people say, oh, you're a Christian, huh? And then you can't take it back. We can apologize, and it's good, and I've had to apologize to people before, and that's good, because then people can realize that, hey, Christians aren't perfect. We do something wrong, we say something wrong, and God tells us about it, we, we apologize, and we need to apologize. And it's, if they don't want to forgive, forgive you, that's up to them. We've done our part. But we need to be sensitive to those kind of situations. Now, all prayers are answered. They're either answered with a yes, a no, or a maybe. Sometimes we just forget about the answer and give up before we get the answer. We need to keep praying until we have the answer, until we know which one of those things God is going to do. And uh, I'd like to think that all of the times we pray, we get a yes. But sometimes I'm glad that God said no on certain situations. Aren't you? I'll tell you, I've looked back on some of the things I've asked for, and I got upset because I didn't get them, and then I thank God that I didn't get them. Because sometimes the things we ask for aren't best for us. And we don't know that. Just like when our kids ask us for stuff. They, we know more than they do about certain situations. And they get mad at us as parents when we tell them no. But then when they get to become parents, then they understand. Or they mature enough, they understand. That sometimes you can't give your kids everything that they want because it's harmful to them. Why can't I drink the Madrado under the sink? It looks so good. You know? We don't want to give our kids that. No, it's a no, no, no. And we slap their little hands when they start touching things when they're little. You know, I didn't want to put things up. When my kids were little, I didn't put anything up. It's called slapping their hands and letting them learn what they can touch and what they can't touch. And if they brought their kids over to my house and they didn't have the same ability, and they started touching things, I say, hey, you've got to take care of that kid. He's touching things that he's not supposed to have. Well, he's just a kid. No, it's not. It's your fault. If your kid is not disciplined enough, it's your fault, not theirs. Of course, they come into my house. Back then, you know, we were okay with slapping somebody else's kid. How many remember those days? Us old people. It was okay. You know, when I went to school, the teacher could paddle your little behind. And you didn't dare go home and tell your parents about it because you'd get paddled again. So that's, and we wonder what happened to the world. That's what happened to the world. Parents are growing up and thinking they're little darlings, they're so little darling and they're so cute and they can't do anything wrong and don't you dare discipline my child. Don't you dare touch him. Don't you dare say a hard word to them. So they grow up little snowflakes. And they don't know how to handle the world. That's why we live in a world of free stuff. Gimme, 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 gimme. My name is Jimmy. Gimme, gimme, gimme. That's all they know. Because that's the way they were raised. And then we have adults that tell kids, Oh, if you love me and vote for me, I will give you this. I think, oh boy, free stuff, I'm voting for them. They could care less about anything else. 
Now, how come we have that situation? We took prayer out of school. Parents aren't parents. They don't take their kids to church. Makes a big difference in their life. You know, I can look at uh, Sheldon's kids. When they lived with us when they were little, they went to church every week until he moved out. And uh, then they didn't go to church. Sometimes they did, sometimes they didn't. It wasn't a thing that they did. But Austin was a different situation when they had Austin because then they were, they were Christians and they sent them to a Christian school. She never went to a public school till she was in junior high. I think till they moved here. She was always in a private Christian school. And the difference in the kids is what? One was raised with all the Christian values in a, in a place where Christianity was dominated the, the education and one wasn't. Now, she better not let me down or I'll get mad at her. <laughs> so, but God ha- has a great effect on people. And people that don't bring their kids to church, they aren't going to learn morality. Or the parents will drop their kids off at church and think it's our responsibility to make their kids turn out right. But don't you dare say anything harsh to them. Because then they're not coming back. You looked at my kid funny and I didn't like it, so I'm leaving. But anyway, we face crises every day, whether you're a Christian or non-Christian. But I'd hate to have been through the crisis that I've been through in my life and the things that I go through, even now, without God. I can't even imagine it. I'd be stoned all the time. I'd be drunk all the time. Because there's the only way you could cope with all this stuff. So I'm thankful that I have God to be able to help me through the crisis of my life. Now, we went through the different crisis series that we have. We looked at how to live through a crisis, what to do in a crisis, don't take Christ out of our crisis, and today I want to talk about how to manage crisis. Now, the best example that we have on how to manage an example of crisis is Jesus and how he handled it. And we're supposed to be like him. That's supposed to be what we strive for every day. We strive to be like Jesus. So I thought this would be a good thing not to, not, not to talk about because it's one of the greatest crises that we kind of just don't even think about. Matthew 26, 36 to 38. Then Jesus went to his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. Now that would be James and John. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Now this was one of the biggest crises that Jesus was facing. And the first thing he had to do was deal with his negative emotions. Can you imagine? He knew his time was up. Man, it's it. I'm facing it right now, this very night. All this stuff that I've been dreading, I've been looking at the whole life, the suffering and the cross is right here. And I'm sorrowful. I would be sorrowful too. You know, it's, you know, these guys that are, uh, die, they're sentenced to death because of their crimes that they've committed. Their death's easy, you know. They get it easy compared to what their victims got. And uh, sometimes I think that whatever their crime is, that they ought to have the same crime inflicted on them. You know, 
I hate it when someone touches a kid. You know, I just want to take them out behind the barn and just take care of them. And I was sitting there and I was listening to the news this last week and they had a, <clears throat> an illegal that was arrested for raping a woman in a wheelchair. Now, can you imagine that? How, how debauched do you have to be to rape a woman in a wheelchair? And so he goes to prison for nine months. He gets out. They wanted to deport him, but they, he was in sanctuary states. Can't do that. So he goes out and re- re- rapes the same woman in a wheelchair. You know, stuff like that, it just it makes me angry when, our, when people take advantage of the people that can't protect themselves. And it's not only just illegals. We have a lot of non-illegals that commit heinous crimes, too. I don't know how they can do the things that they do. It just it boggles my mind, and every day I think it can't get any worse, and then it does. And we are being programmed to accept all this filth and all this crap that's going on in this world. And we're saying, oh, it ain't a big deal, so what? Let them live their life. If they want to be gay, let them. I don't have a problem with that. Just stay in the closet. I don't want to see it. It makes me sick and nauseous to my stomach. And I don't know how God can stand it. <clears throat> and the only reason God is, hasn't has put up with it this far is because it isn't time and we as believers in America have been praying for our nation. If one day we're going to be taken out of here and all restraints are off, and I do not want to live in that world. As bad as this world is today, it's still a pretty good place to live in compared to other places. <clears throat> One in 25 Christians live in a, in a country where they would cost them their life if they found out that they were Christians. One in 25. Now that's a lot. But where are we? Are we bringing in the Christian refugees? No. We're bringing in the non-Christian refugees, the ones, and, are, and then they're uh, turning to ISIS fighters. They just found someone this week that was planning to shoot up a church. He was from Somalia. Why aren't we bringing in Christians? They're the ones that are really refugees. Amen. We've got 65,000 refugees in Utah. That means we've got 65,000 people that are living on welfare mostly or some government program. But don't you dare try to get your medical stuff paid for. That's another one of my pet peeves. My whole life, even when I was young, I just I hated it because they wouldn't take care of our old people. You know, the old people can't survive. They have to choose between their medicine and food or the medicine and their utilities. And I think that's ridiculous. They should give them at least what they give them illegals, <clears throat> which is free housing, food stamps, and a living something money to live on. The average person on Social Security makes $1,600 a month. Try to rent a house, pay utilities, eat and buy medicine on that. And insurance. And a car. Some of you don't make that much, but I read that that was supposed to be the average, you know. It's supposed to be the average. Some make more, some make less, but that's the average. So anyway, even that. Let's give every old person $1,600 a month plus housing benefits and food and medical care. Wouldn't you like that? I'd like that because I'm old. (laughs) But anyway, so he was sorrowful. He's overwhelmed because he came to restore man's relationship with God. 
And they all not only rejected him, they planned his execution. You know, I hate it when you do a favor for somebody and they don't even say thank you. But you go over there and after you do the, do the favor for them, they rob you. You know, that's, kind of, that's not as bad as what happened to Jesus. But we can kind of grasp that. Now we have to deal with our negative emotions, like embarrassment, anger, sadness, fear, or sorrow. Unforgiveness. We have these emotions, the things that we have going on. If someone did us wrong, or someone we loaned somebody some money, and they didn't pay it back, it creates a negative emotion in us. And every time we see them, we just get angry because they haven't paid us back. Or somebody embarrassed us, and every time we see them, we get mad at them because of what they did. So we have to deal with these negative emotions in order to get through a crisis. Because if we have all these negative emotions when we're going through a crisis, we'll never make it through. All we'll do is make the crisis worse. And I know that to be true. They say, what does it say? Cheer up, things could be worse. So I'm not taking any chances. I'm not going to cheer up. <laughs> I don't want it worse. So, but Jesus lived a perfect life and carried the sins and shame of the world and guilt to the cross and died. Now, Jesus wasn't a martyr. He was a substitute. There's a big difference in that. A martyr is somebody that doesn't sometimes have a choice in why they're going to die. I believe in Jesus, so I'm going to die. A substitute is what Jesus did for us. We are the ones that should have died on the cross, but he took our place. So he was our substitute. So every time we see a cross, we should be reminded that Jesus died in our place. He was our substitute. And I'm thankful he died in my place. Because there's no way in the world you could die for my sins, or I could die for your sins. And if you required one of my son's death for your sins, you ain't getting it, buddy. You know, I may love you, but there isn't anybody I love that much. But God loved us that much and gave his only son for us as a substitute. So we need to deal with those emotions. <clears throat> Matthew 24, 12, excuse me, 27, 46c. My God, my God, why has you forsaken me? Now from eternity past until this moment when he was on the cross, he had a connection with God. It was a flow that flowed through all, 24-7. He, he had that connection with God. But when, he was, when all the sins of the world was placed on Christ on the cross, that connection was broken. And that in itself would have been a terrible thing to have to endure. I don't know whether you watch sci-fi movies, but this is the only example I could come up with, is that in Star Trek, the Borg, how many know who the Borg is in sci-fi? All us old people. <clears throat> anyway, it was a group of, like a computer, big computer, and they'd take people, and they'd turn them into things, and they would connect, connect them to the collective thing. So anybody had a thought, they all had the same thought. If anything was happening to one person, it was happening to all the other persons that was there. And when you broke that connection, most of the people that they got, tried to get out of that situation died because they could not live without that connection. There was an emptiness there. So Jesus, here he is, with, fought the only time in his, since 
whenever. I mean, we can't even imagine time, but eternity before time, till this moment, he had the presence of God in his life. He was God, and he was part of the Trinity, and all of a sudden, that leg was broke, and he was lost. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Sometimes we pray that when something happens in our life. I got a flat tire. My God, why have you forsaken me? But he was in a great crisis here. And he still went through it. He was overwhelmed because on the cross his relationship with God was broken. I mean, I know that when we as believers and we get saved and we have that great newness in our hearts and in our lives and we feel so good and man, everything's great and then we have a problem that happens and all of a sudden we forget about how great it was. That's a brokenness. We, have a, we start breaking the connection that we have with God because we need a continual relationship with God. We just can't come on Sunday and have a relationship with God. How many people would remain married if you'd only seen them once a week? Nobody. Because being married means being, uh, being one. You are connected in a way that no one else can be connected. I mean, Rand and I have been married for so long, we you know, know what each other's thinking. Well, usually he'll usually say something on the TV, if something happens, and he'll ask the question, why in the world they do that? And I was just going to say the same thing. Because we've been together so long, and I am starting to grow a few whiskers too. Got a few on here. <clears throat> so, but we can't understand how traumatic that was for Jesus on the cross. The dying was the easy part for him. It was the separation that, that he felt from God when he was forsaken. And God had to forsake him because God couldn't look on sin. And it was the only way that we could be forgiven. <clears throat> now we have to deal with those emotions then we can handle our crisis now when we lose a job, our health, or a loved one we need to take time to grieve the loss now when you get older one day you're going to get up and all of a sudden you're going to realize that you're getting older you try to do something that you used to do really easy and all of a sudden that's hard we was watching a war movie last night, the old ones, and a guy just, whatever, hopped on, out of the truck like nothing, whatever, over the fence or whatever, and he said, I remember when I used to could do that, and I says, yeah, I was thinking the same thing, I used to could do that, but you wake up one morning and everything hurts, you try to bounce out of bed, and you don't anymore, you kind of roll over and roll out of bed, and everything snap, crackles, and pops, our favorite cereal. As old people, if you're not there yet, hopefully you won't face it like I did. But I did a lot of damage to this body, so you know I'm paying for the life that I lived. So I tell you, every, every bone that you've broken, you're going to feel it one day. I don't know when, I'm not a prophet, but I know being old and how it is, everything I've ever heard, I woke up one day and I could define every injury. <coughs> But we need to take time to grieve those losses. And Randy's had a hard time adjusting to that too, ever since he dumped his backhoe when he was over here. 
in Canaan, I was loading it for somebody, and they brought a bad trailer, and I said, they ain't gonna hold that backhoe. And I said, they ain't gonna hold the backhoe to the guy, and he says, oh yeah, well, I put lots of them on there, so he gets it up there halfway, and the thing busts and dumps him off. And he couldn't do anything for over a month. And he's still paying for that dumping that backhoe. And it's been what? How long ago, honey? Two years? Three years? You just can't do it anymore. And he goes out and tries to do stuff. He used to be outside all day doing stuff. And now he goes out for an hour and comes back in. He says, man, I'm beat. We're building a garage out there. And he, he was going to do the work himself. And thought, man, I can't do that anymore. We can't do cement anymore. We're too old. <laughs> so we have to face the reality, and we mourn. We mourn those days. <laughs> Matthew 26, 39-44. Going a little further, he fell on his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. In Jesus crisis, he paid, prayed for, asked for an alternate, alternative, excuse me, alternatives within the will of God. He wanted another way out. God, if there's any way that this can be done without me suffering and dying, tell me what it is, because I'll take it. Now, if I was thinking about dying like that, I'd be doing praying that way too. <clears throat> and it's okay. Now, Jesus didn't ask just once. He asked three times. And sometimes we think, well, if we've asked three times, that's it, it's over. Well, I say that if you can quit after three times, if while you're praying, you're praying so hard and so earnestly that you sweat blood. How many has ever sweated blood when you prayed? Not me. I haven't. So he was earnestly praying and sorrowful because he was sweating blood. And he asked three times. And the only reason he quit is because they come to arrest him. It's okay to ask for all alternatives. But Jesus' request was secondary to the will of God. We, he wanted God's will first and foremost to anything else that would happen. And if we lived our lives like that, our lives would be a lot better. <clears throat> now God doesn't Enjoy watching his kids suffer through things. Just like we as parents wouldn't like, don't like to watch our kids suffer. But there's some things that our kids have to do by themselves in order to get stronger. And we can't enable them. If we say our kids can't do any chores because they're too young, we're enabling them. As soon as they're old enough to walk or a little bit and talk, they're old enough to do chores. Pick up your toys. They don't want to pick them up. Pick them up. <laughs> we have to teach them. Now, it isn't pleasant. I mean, I don't like spanking kids, but, you know, how are you going to discipline them? I don't mean you take out the big belt and wallop them. You don't need a lot with a little kid. All you got to do is just make noise. The noise scares them to death. We had this paddle that we had with our, with our kids that was, oh, it was about that long, and it had two flaps like this on the thinner things on the outside and had a thing of air in the middle. So when you hit anything, it sounded like it was killing. <laughs> but it didn't really, you have to hit really, really hard in order for that to uh, do, any good, do any damage. But um, 
That thing come up missing one day, though, didn't it, honey? Yeah. I never, we had to ask them next time what they did with it, because they, they found it and hid it. Yeah, they probably found it. Oh, yeah, we used it up the mountain for firewood. <laughs> so we don't ask God, God for something, whether it's a home or a job. We don't ask, we're saying no for God. When God might want to say yes. I don't care if you're suffering with terminal cancer. Ask for healing and pursue healing. Don't say no for God. We do that a lot. If all we can see is lose-lose situations in our life, we need to pursue and pray for win-win situations. Don't say no for God. See, we just give up. We ask one time, God, I would like this to happen, and then we just go on our way. I knew God wouldn't answer my prayer. Well, obviously, you didn't care that much about whatever it is you prayed about because you pray one time, and you don't care anymore. If we cared about something, we would pursue it. When a parent has a sick child, they'll go to every doctor they can find to find a remedy for that child. When I was having those health issues with my blood pressure, and it was crashing, and when it crashed, I crashed. Just poof, passed out. I went to every kind of doctor there was. I was pursuing an answer for the problem because I did not waken up in the middle of the night and break my leg <coughs> or breaking my ribs or breaking my hand or doing all kinds of things that happened. Those are just the ones that I had to have big issues with. So I sought and pursued answers. And that's why we, had to, we moved was because Randy was afraid. He wanted me closer to the hospital. Sometimes I'd be passed out for 20 minutes before my blood pressure would revive enough for me to wake up. Well, then I did my own research, and the day we sold the house, I found out it was one of the medications I was taking. Boy, was I mad. I was really mad. Me and God had a very good conversation that day, because I was not happy about it. I was angry at God because we didn't want to move. There's too much work to move. We had too much stuff to move. And, but, by that time, just had to accept it. That's what it was. At least I figured out what it was. I still have issues once in a while, but I monitor a lot more, and I have medication that I take if my blood pressure is starting to drop, and I know the symptoms. And if I get really, really, really tired all of a sudden, and I start slurring my words, that's the warning. Get down, Sandra. Get down <laughs> before you fall down. But uh, Randy said, you're slurring your words, and I'll go... If I can make it in there, I'll take my blood pressure, and it'll be starting to drop. <clears throat> but anyway, I worked it out, and I pursued it, and that's what we need to do, because God, don't say no for God. Amen. Too many times we do that. Now, if your kids want something, they don't ask just once. They ask, oh, Mommy, please, 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 can I do this? Please, 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 please. And they'll say, oh, I don't know. And they'll keep, Mama, please, 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 or Daddy, please, please, please. They're asking until they get a definite answer. Of course, in our house, if you asked one parent and they said no, you weren't allowed to go to the other parent and ask. If you did, you were grounded. We were mean parents. Because they were reaching the point they were too big to paddle. They were the same right size to punch in the mouth, but 
too big to paddle, can't put them over my lap. But anyway, so we ground them. That's a, bit, that's a good tool, parents, for, for teenagers and younger kids. Ground them. Uh, Matthew 26, 45. <clears throat> then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come. The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. In Jesus' biggest crisis that he had, he took his inner circle with him to pray. And all they did was fall asleep. Now that doesn't make you feel very good, does it? I mean, he was going through a very thing. Of course, they didn't understand it, and they'd had a long night and all those other kind of excuses that you want to have. But in his greatest crisis, he asked his inner circle, go with me and pray with me, watch with me, because I am greatly sorrowful. <clears throat> and they let him down. And we have an inner circle. We, you have an inner circle here, and you have an inner circle at home. And if you have something you need to be prayed for about or pray about, let us pray for you. And if somebody asks you to pray for them, pray for them. I don't care if you have to pray right that moment. Pray. Because sometimes we forget. And then we remember when we see them and we throw, throw a quick prayer out there in the wind. So, oh, Lord, meet that need or whatever they asked me about two weeks ago. And they say, oh, I, I was praying. I prayed for you. So we can not lie. <laughs> but we have to do it. Now, in Jesus Christ, he responded to who he was. In the four Gospels, Son of Man was one of the most common titles that Jesus used to address himself. The Son of Man was God. The title meant God, who was also priest and king. Now, they probably didn't understand the fullness of that thing until afterwards, until after uh, he died and resurrected and the Holy Spirit was poured out and gave them understanding about it. They did then, but at the time, they didn't understand it. Now, he was determined, who he was determined his purpose, his values, meaning, and future. Now, he was responding to the Son of Man who was going to suffer and die that we may have life. And, uh, <coughs> excuse me, we, so we need to respond to who we are when we're in a crisis. If you're sitting there and you're uh, stumbling around, whatever, at work or whatever, because you don't sleep hardly at, no at night for some reason, you need to respond with who I am. Who am I? I'm a parent with a baby at home. You never get any sleep with a newborn. Makes it easier to deal with. No wonder I'm tired. I got a baby at home. Or if you wish you never have any time to do anything. Think, man, I don't have any time to myself. I can't do anything anymore. Respond to who you are. I'm married and I have children. Your time is no longer yours anymore. You asked for, you took on those responsibilities when you got married and when you had children. So suck it up, pumpkins. And just whatever, but it helps you when you realize who you are. And uh, <clears throat> there are people that uh, experience a midlife crisis. And they go out, and the guys, I guess the guys especially do this, they go out and buy sports cars and all this other kind of stuff because of mid midlife crisis. I don't know what that is. My life's been a whole crisis from beginning to end. I don't know. I kind of skipped it. I'm just, I'm like a snowplow just trying to get the roads cleared. <laughs> 
But then we have to realize who we are. We're not young anymore. We're getting older. So we have, we're, it's going to be a crisis trying to adjust. But now I'm old and I acknowledge it. and I just say, well, I'm old. Of course, that covers a multitude of sins. You forget where you put your keys. Well, I'm old. Forget to go somewhere. Well, I'm old. <laughs> hey, that's a pretty good excuse. <laughs> and what are they going to say? No, you're not old. They can't because you are old. See, it's good. So when you get there, use it to the use it to the limits. Romans eight eighteen. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Now I have that yellow part in there. That's not in the verse. That's why I put it in yellow. That's the future, the wonderful future that we have. So we need to realize that. Uh, we have a future, and we're going through a crisis. We have to acknowledge the crisis and realize that one day we have a wonderful life prepared for us. We're going to rule and reign with Christ. We're going to live forever. We may die on this world, but we are eternal beings, and we will live forever. So we've got a future to look forward to. And that enables us to endure things when we just react to the reality, act to the reality that we are living in and not react. <coughs> Matthew 45, oh, whatever it is. Oh, I'm sorry. I missed that verse, but I'll see. It isn't up there, but I'll read it. 45, 45b to 46 of the same chapter. Look, the hour has come, and the Son of Man is delivered in the hands of sinners. Rise, let's go. Here, here comes my betrayer. Now, Jesus had to recognize he had a limited earthly lifespan. All of us have a limited earthly lifespan. I don't know what that is, but it's limited, so we need to respond with that idea. We don't have a thousand years we're going to live. We need to understand that everything has a limited lifespan. Our bodies, health, the plumbing in your homes, your car, your favorite chair, it all has a limited lifespan. And when we realize that, some things are easier to deal with. You know, if the refrigerator goes out, it had a limited lifespan. You know, if you've had it for 40 years, I think you got your money's worth. But the problem is it all goes out at once. That's the problem. We try to avoid that by getting the newer stuff before it goes out. I mean, we've had it a long time. We think, man, we better replace that. It's going to go out. <laughs> so but we all have a limited life existence. And five times John records Jesus saying his time has not yet come, either to be revealed as the Son of Man or to die as the Son of Man. Five times. But now he realized that his time was up. Now Ecclesiastes 3, 8, 1 through 8, we know this verses. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity. Under the heavens, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to uproot, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to tear down, a time to build up, a time to weep, and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones, and a time to gather them, a time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search, and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. 
a time to be silent, and a time to speak. Man, if we could just do that one, that'd be good, wouldn't it? If I could just keep this thing shut sometimes, it'd save me a lot of problems. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time to peace. We need to realize that everything has a limited lifespan. If we think our parents are going to live forever, we'll never enjoy them while they're here. My parents have been gone for 15 years, and I miss them every day. And it's hard. There's always going to be an emptiness that they, you know, because they're gone. But one day I have the hope knowing I'm going to see them again. I can't even imagine living through this life without that hope of knowing you're going to see them again. So we need to treat people better than what we do, especially our parents, because if we don't realize that, one day they're going to be gone, and we're, the crisis is even going to be worse. It's hard for a parent to lose a child. That's a, that's a hard crisis, because that isn't supposed to happen. Parents are not supposed to outlive their children, but it happens all the time anymore. We have a limited lifespan, everything. And I don't know what that lifespan is for every person that I know. But one day, I'm going to be punching my ticket. Because I know I have a limited lifespan. I don't know what that is. Only God knows. I'm hoping I go in the rapture. But if not, that's okay too. Last breath I take here will be the next breath I take in heaven. So it's okay. I can live with it because I've lived a lifespan. I told Randy I'm going first because I ain't going to live without him. So <clears throat> I already got my reservation in. <laughs> Doesn't matter that I'm older. I've had more, more things I've had to deal with. But I, at least I had my honey to be with me through them. <clears throat> so unnecessary crisis occurs when you don't realize that everything this side of heaven has a limited lifespan. Matthew 26, 47 to 51. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Jesus said, Greetings, Rabbi and kissed him. Jesus replied, Do what you came for, friend. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. With that, one of the Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Now the high priest had to sneak around to get Jesus when he was relatively alone, because if they would have taken him at the temple, there would have been a riot. Wouldn't have been just an ear that would have been lost. It'll win lives. Because they didn't understand the situation. Jesus did. That's why he continued on. Matthew 26, 52 to 56. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But how then would the scripture be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? In that hour, Jesus said to the crowd, <clears throat> Am I leading a rebellion that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I sat in the temple, 
courts teaching, and you did not arrest me. But this has all taken place, that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. So he's going through another crisis. Every one of his disciples ran away. One of them, he ran naked because the guy got his cloak. That'd be a hard one. <laughs> Hiding behind fig leaves or something. But they all deserted him. And I, you know, I, everything that could happen to him happened. You know, his father turned his back on him. His disciples deserted him. The only ones that never deserted him was the women. Of course, they weren't, I don't know whether they were at this, around this area or not. I have no idea. He had a lot of women that, that followed him, and a lot of women supported his ministry. <clears throat> In Jesus Christ, he relinquished self-protection for the will of God. Luke twenty-two fifty-one. But Jesus answered, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. He said, get away, this is the way it's supposed to happen. This is God's will. So stop it. And I, don't th- I wouldn't have went down and healed the guy's ear, you know. How many of you would have? Here they are arresting you, and I'm going to heal their ear? Uh-uh, no thank you. I'll look for a knife to cut off the other one. <laughs> but it just shows how much Jesus was in control of the situation. And he said he could have called legions of angels. And we figured there's, what, 10,000 in a legion? 12,000 in a legion? So it's 144,000 angels he could have called. And remember, one angel killed 185,000 soldiers in the Old Testament. So he could have called for them. But if he would have asked for help, and the angels came and rescued him, then we would still be lost in our sin. So he chose God's will over his own health and security at that moment. If Jesus protected himself, he would have been outside of God's will. And man's sin couldn't be forgiven. <clears throat> if our goal is to stay alive for periodic pleasure, then the thought everything that's going to happen will be a crisis. Because all you want is pleasure, pleasure, pleasure. Because that's what, what the problem with drugs is. They take a drug and they get a high on it, and they get used to that high, and they don't get high anymore, so now they need more drugs to make them happy, to get to that same point. And it goes on and progresses until they OD. So it's not, life is not always going to be a pleasure. Someday I say life sucks, the things that happen. But we need to realize that we do not want to uh, eliminate a good crisis. A crisis without a purpose would be a wasted crisis. Every crisis has a purpose. We may not know why this side of heaven, but God knows, and he has a purpose for everything that happens to us. When we relinquish our self-protection to God and his will, we can reduce the number of crises we have in our life. A lot of things that happen to us is because of a decision that we made. And we wonder what happened, and we look at it, oh man, why did I do that? Now I've got all this to deal with. But if we relinquish every moment of our life to God and his will, 
A lot of crises are going to be evaded. We won't have them. But God uses crisis to get us on our knees or draw us back to him. Because the first thing we do in a crisis is call out to him. But if we called out to him, in the good times, we wouldn't have so many bad times. Satan's stupid in a lot of ways because if he wanted to win an army or whatever, all he's got to do is give people everything. Give them all the free stuff. Then people become complacent and say, I don't need God, I did this my way. I did it myself. Nobody's going to get any credit for this but me. I worked hard for my money. I worked hard to be where I'm at. Somebody said that on a show, it was Washington, what it was. And they said, we've worked hard for everything we got. And I said, how could they work hard? They're not old enough to have worked very hard at their age. They look like they've been in their early 30s. I'm going, how could you have worked that hard? And the woman looked like she's still in her 20s. I've worked hard all my life, so we deserve this. We all work hard. As believers, we're supposed to be the hardest workers on this earth because we reflect God in everything that we do. Paul J. Meyer, in his book, Unlocking Your Legacy, tells us about the time his mother was found two days after she had fallen in her home. She died a few days afterwards in the hospital. This was in 1969. He writes, in the apron she was wearing the day she fell, I found a note that read, SS Hope, seven miles, seven cents. I cried uncontrollably, realizing that she had raised seven cents after walking seven miles for SS Hope, a hospital ship that provided medical care to people in developing nations. Those seven miles might have been what killed her. Instead of being bitter at God for what happened to his mom, he became one of the greatest Christian philanthropists, giving millions of dollars in the name of Christ to help the needy. I know that seven cents don't seem a lot of, like a lot of money to us, but when I was growing up, it was. Man, you could buy a lot of candy for seven cents. You know, we get two for a penny or five for a penny, depends on what it was. Hey, man, I'll tell you, candy bars, big candy bars were nickel. You know, gas was 15, 13 cents a gallon, 15 cents a gallon. How far we have fallen. <laughs> the concept of crisis in Chinese is represented by two words, danger and opportunity. If we only see the danger in every crisis, we'll miss the opportunity to grow strong and see how God comes through for us again. If we just give up, We'll miss the opportunity to grow. Don't waste a good crisis. Give it to God and ask him to help you through it. Call up the church and say, pray for me. We're going through a crisis at this time. And we'll pray for you. We're here to bear each other's burdens. You know that story I read, it was sad that that woman had to lay for two days on the floor. Two days when no one thought enough about her to Check on her. Now that's the part that gets me. I just, you know, I see these commercials on TV with those little things. Help, I've fallen and I can't get up. You know, and I used to laugh at them until I got old and <laughs> fell. And then I'm, help, I've fallen and I can't get up. Randy, Randy, where are you at? 
I can't imagine laying there for two days. I couldn't stand it for two minutes. <clears throat> I still have a hard time getting up. Man, it's amazing how far, our, how old our bodies get. Think you're just going to bounce up onto something, and you may bounce, but you will fall, and it will hurt. <laughs> when we manage crisis in our lives, following the example of Christ, we are able to turn the dangers and disasters of life into opportunities to fulfill the will of God. I want to fulfill the will of God, don't you? Amen. Let's pray. First of all, Father, Lord, I'm thankful, Lord, for the opportunity to be here, Lord, and to be able to say that I'm a redeemed believer, that you died on the cross in my place. You were my substitute, and I'm thankful for that, Lord, because I can't even imagine where I would be without you. Lord, as I look back on my life, I realize all the things that I've went through have been to teach me a lesson or be able to enable me to help someone else that's going through a problem. Lord, I can thank you for them hindsightly, Lord, but it was sure hard, Lord, during that crisis to be able to trust you to see me through. And I know that there are people here this morning that are dealing with a crisis of some kind. And like they say, a crisis for, for other people is minor. My crisis is major because it's how our viewpoint is. But in your hands, a crisis doesn't matter whether it's a big one or a small one because they're the same size in your hand. Lord, I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for your salvation. I'm thankful for this church, and I'm thankful for this congregation. Lord, I love each and every one of them dearly, and I'm so thankful, Lord, that you give me the opportunity to minister to them. Lord, if there's someone here this morning that doesn't know you, I ask, Lord, that they would make a decision for you. And I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Now, I know most of us are believers, but like I say many, many times, I don't want to miss an opportunity to make that, ask that. So if there's anybody here this morning that says, I want to know God because I don't, anyone? Praise the Lord, I'm glad. Because I like to, don't want to miss that opportunity. Prayer requests. <clears throat>